are listening to Up To Me Radio, the best in inspirational talk radio. It's up to me. Welcome to another episode of Call for Caring's The Empowerment Hour. My name is Michelle Bolden, and I will be your host or guide as we journey through caregiving together. The Empowerment Hour will bring inspiration, education, and resources to our audience of family caregivers. The tangible information provided today can be applied immediately after listening to the podcast. This month, we are celebrating fathers and men. So we want to wish all our fathers and father figures a happy Father's Day. June is also National Men's Health Month. The men in our lives are often seen as our protectors and providers. This is how they care for us. This month, let's celebrate them not only in words and gifts, but also in action. And that action is them caring for themselves, mental and physical preventive and well care. According to the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, men in the United States on average die five years earlier than women and die at a higher rate from the three leading causes of death, heart disease, cancer, and unintentional injuries. It takes a village to support our men and just one another, which starts with our immediate family. So today's episode is entitled, It's a Family Affair. And our guests today will share their caregiving journey as a family. I am so excited to welcome our guest today, the Holmes family. Welcome Holmes family. Hey. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, so glad to see you all. And so I'm going to ask for you all to introduce yourselves. Um, and so I'm going to start with um, Mr. and Mrs. Holmes. Well, I'm Joan Holmes, and you are, what's your name? That's right, Alex Holmes. <laughs> All right, and who do you all have with you? That nice young lady there. <laughs> I'm Katrina Holmes. All right, and so that is your daughter. That's right, okay. And awesome, and so next we have Terry. Terry, you wanna introduce yourself? Hey, I'm Terry Holmes. I'm the oldest son. I'm the middle child, so, you know. All right. <laughs> I'm the well, glue. <laughs> well, welcome, Terry. We're glad to have you. And then also we have another Holmes here, April. Yes, I'm April. Hi. And um, I'm the oldest. I'm the first. Okay. <laughs> You're the, the original, right? Everybody else are kind of copies, right? <laughs> so wonderful. So I am so excited to have you guys here. And um, I'm excited just to kind of get into our conversation. So if you all can kind of tell me a little bit about yourself, I don't know if one or two you want to kind of share the history of your family, um, kind of what brought you here. I'm, I'm going to allow for you to do that. Well, for one thing, um, this particular journey um, was really unexpected. It was an unexpected journey. Um, so much happened so quickly. And it was a very difficult to process it in the beginning. 
I was sitting on the sofa, just like I'm sitting on this one next to my husband, and both of us had fallen asleep. And the next, when I woke up, uh, my husband looked strange, and I was trying to get him to talk, and um, he was having a stroke. But I didn't know that at the time. I remember asking April to go get the neighbor next door because she was a registered nurse. She was a surgical nurse. And uh, someone called 911. I can't remember who April, did that. April, April, well, April was doing, doing yes. it all. She was pulling yes. double duty then. It seemed like everybody came at the same time. And off to the hospital we went. I still had no idea what was going on with him. Uh, basically because we had not been too long, uh, maybe a couple of months that had left the hospital from his having congestive heart failure. So uh, it was, if, and, and another thing too, it was his, we were, we had just come back from a birthday celebration, his birthday celebration. And it seemed like everything was normal. He was talking to Katrina. Uh, she was getting ready to go home. And, uh, you know, when we got to the hospital, the doctors said they were going to helicopter him out uh, because they needed to send him to another hospital because that particular hospital, uh, which was Brady, was the best uh, stroke um, facility that there was. And so, but the weather changed. It became um, very bad um, weather outside and they could not fly him out. So we had to go in the ambulance. And uh, so, you know, I'm sitting there after he, they got him on the, uh, the floor to process him in. They told us um, that, um, that there was not very much that they could do. That's how they told me. Uh, because he had, um, he had too much brain damage. And so I was just kind of in shock. I was really, really in shock and, um, and very, um, not very well prepared or versed in, in anything like this. Um, yeah. Dad, this is the thing about this, uh, when she said it being unexpected, dad is the strongest person we know, ever have known. Dad <laughs> is the type of person that will work, work a 12 hour shift, turn back around, cut maybe four or five yards, go lift some refrigerators or stoves or whatever that is that's that so for this to have happened to him it was very much so unexpected plus he was very a few like a couple of months away from his retirement his official retirement and then he was going to segue into lawn care as an after you know work type of um, exactly type of work like work he was going to do and so, and mom had already retired. So this was definitely not in the plan, totally unexpected and definitely not from the type of person and the, the strength that he has. We were not expecting anything like this to happen to him. Yeah, yeah that, that's, um, that can be devastating. And that's often what happens when we come into the role of family caregiver. It's more, more often than not expected. And so we don't know how to respond, how to react. You're just kind of thrown into it. And particularly if you're not in healthcare, you know, this is your introduction to healthcare. 
um, which is you're emotional, anxious, and so it's hard for you to receive what's being told to you because it's so much at once, right? And so that can be overwhelming alone, um, right? And so kind of tell me, once you guys, because office, obviously they the prognosis was not correct because we are where we are right now, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so kind of tell me about that journey. Yeah, yeah, I, I personally... It's it's very interesting because I had been in a um, I had been in at an event at a church um, and Marilyn Hickey was the event speaker and she had talked to us about reading the Bible in um, a year and it just so happened that the day that he had a stroke I had stopped on um, Genesis eighteen fourteen when there was a conversation between Sarah and the Lord. And the question from him was after they had this conversation, because she had laughed about um, when um, it was it was revealed that she was going to have a child at her age. And so the conversation went like, um, why did you laugh? And she said, I did not, I didn't laugh. The Bible said that she was afraid and that's the reason that she said I didn't laugh but but then the statement came the question was is there anything too hard for the Lord and so we know the answer to that is no that's where I stopped that's the only scripture I had I could not think past I couldn't think of any before then I only remembered is there anything too hard for the Lord so in that process when the doctors were coming to me, telling me, almost asking me, why am I still here? I was asking them, what is it should he be doing? And then they would tell me something and then I would, I would write it down and I would repeat what I read. And I would say, Lord, you told Sarah that there's nothing too hard for you. Can you fix, please fix this? And so, and that's the way it went. I got Terry, Terry had a part. He ended up um, writing down all, everything that I had written. He put it on the, on the cell phone and sent it out to people that I knew that would pray. And, uh, and that's how that, that part went. So may I also add to that mom, would, when she said would write down what he was supposed to be doing. So if he, were, if he wasn't breathing, then she would say, Lord, he's supposed to be breathing. Can you fix it? Can you help him to breathe? If he wasn't walking, Lord, can you, because there's nothing too hard for you, can you help him to walk, fix it? So it, was, it wasn't the big picture of taking the full stroke and, and offering up to the Lord in prayer. It was the incremental, like I would say it was a prayer strategy, really. The incremental pieces of what the doctor said that he should be doing, he should have involuntary of movement he should have voluntary movement, voluntary laughter. Because I think the thing that he was actually on life support and they were saying that he didn't have a, a voluntary uh, movement. And when I came in the room, he smiled at me. They had taken him off life support. He smiled at me and they said, ah, now that is a sign that he's that he's alive and he's, a, he's aware. And that was the thing. That was the, the, the I guess, like a big moment that kind of catapulted us to the next moment okay so now he's alive he's breathing he's off life support 
uh, he has he's able to sustain his own air, then now we're in the mode of let's start rebuilding. So yeah, <laughs> he keeps saying thank, thank you. you. <laughs> <laughs> And you know what I want to add to this? This is why we love the movie War Room. You, you heard of War Room? Oh, yes, absolutely. This is, this is like a real, my mom was basically that woman in War Room with a prayer strategy. And we were her, you know, her soldiers. And she would tell us what to do. And then we just distributed to our community, you know, the people that we knew it would, um, would lift us up in faith and in prayer and support what she was seeing on the front lines that needed to be done for my dad. Uh, Terry, tell tell them about how you called in Michael's wife. Oh yeah. So, uh, do you remember? Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, it's the, like you know this this going back. Go ahead. It's, it's just it's great when you know that you have a community of people that will support you at any and all times, and so at this time. You know, my mom remembered um, that my friend Michael had uh, his wife was a doctor. And so, you know, again, being the, the general in the situation, she was like, could we get Shantae involved? And so Shantae, you know, was gracious enough to stop whatever she was doing and to come in and, and kind of listen to what was being said by the other doctors that were um, diagnosing my dad. And so when they would say something, again, they're throwing all kind of terms um, at you. And they have their own strategy on their end where they're saying that, you know, this looks this way to them and this is what you should do. So she was able to take a lot of those terms and a lot of those messages and digest them or make them digestible for us. So put them into layman's terms so that we would understand what they were talking about and then help us to, to come to an agreement about what would be the best situation, given what they were saying, because a lot of the things that the doctors were saying was totally negative. Uh, they were, you know, they really had this opinion that um, that there was that this was really the end. And like my mom said, her strategy was, is there anything too tough for God? And so when, you know, with that in mind, Shantae was able to help us to determine what we should do. And then she was an advocate for us. So, you know, uh, I think what happens a lot of times when families are dealing with the medical uh, institution or the medical machine, uh, they tend to kind of almost steamroll you, especially if you don't have someone on your side that's advocating for what you really want. And so in that, in those instances where they were um, trying to steamroll us, sometimes Shantae could be our advocate. So she, she knew what they could do and what they couldn't do and what they might not be offering to us and what they could offer to us. And so she was able to speak from that standpoint, I'm one of y'all, give them the best treatment possible and that, you know, that gave us a lot of uh, strength, you know, when we were, uh, when we needed it, you know, when we needed it the most. My mom was really the source though. Uh, you know, that was the source of, uh, of a lot of the strength, most of the strength for us, but it was good to have our allies that came along to also support the cause and to encourage us. And so uh, that's what Shantae did, but my mom led that charge, get Shantae involved. <laughs> and, you know, I will say that that's, the story that you just told is is just so important because not only did you all use one another in your family, but you shared your story and others were able to help you. So often when we're in a stressful situation, we don't tell anybody. And so no one knows, no one can pray for you, no one can be a resource for you. So when you share that information, not putting your business out there, but getting the help that you need, you were able to find a resource who was in the health 
profession who can advocate for you as well. And so when we share our story, and I'm so glad you guys are sharing this because you never know who can help you where you are in your time of need. So someone was a doctor, someone could have been a nurse. And so we have to do that. And, you know, as a healthcare professional, I know there are some opportunities for us to make some changes, particularly when we're talking to our families um, about what's going on. Um, you, br you bring the belief and too often we just bring the science, right? And so if there's not enough faith and belief in there to push away what the science says, sometimes we may give a little bit sooner than needed. And so this is an inspirational stories to our caregivers, our family caregivers that stand in what you believe in, right? Stand in your faith, right? Do the things that you feel are, are best for your loved one, because honestly, you are the best advocate for them, regardless of the amount of degrees that someone has, the level of education, you are the best advocate for that person and the person who knows the most about your loved one. So stand strong in what you believe and what they believe so that, that you can advocate them and see that turnaround as the Holmes family did. So just... Thank you so much for sharing that. And so now I want to move a little bit from that initial journey to where you were to, okay, we're overcoming this. Now this is reality. We have to go home. But what happens when we go home? <laughs> We've never faced this before. What are we doing? Yeah. I think one, I think David, um, our youngest son, was the most anxious about. Um, leaving the facility where we were, um, he wasn't ready for um, for Alex to leave because I think I don't think that he thought that um, we could handle the situation at home. But again, I think that um, we really had the favor of God when we came. I had sent um, the children out to look at different facilities, because I never left my husband's side. Uh, I just refused to leave. I even had one um, friend that went out and, and bought me clothes, underwear, everything, because I wouldn't leave. I just refused to leave because I didn't know really what would happen. And um, so, you know, fast forward and everything that we, when we left that facility, we went to many facilities, I wanna say that. Uh, some facilities, um, were giving him too much sodium in his food and he kept um he had another episode of congestive heart failure yeah. multiple times yeah and and then one uh when we got to what they call little grady i think katrina had a conversation with the chef and that's how we really got on the right track with the food situation right uh because the chef uh talked to katrina to let her know that he thought that it was a sodium issue. Right. So I want to well, add, so for your, for your audience, if you realize that the food is a challenge, then if it's okay, speak with the chef because the hospitals have a, a standard menu and it may be a low sodium diet. It may have certain types of restrictions, but if your loved one requires less sodium than their standard amount, then you may be able to advocate for them to say, hey, this is what's been happening with our loved one. Like in our dad's case, he's been to multiple facilities. They have given him what they quote, 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 unquote, called the American uh, standard, I guess, um, low sodium diet from, that's, 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 that has been given by the Heart Association. But for his body, 
and the type of situation he was in, he could not have that standard of sodium. So his act, he needed, he needed less. So when I talked to the chef, he said, oh, okay, I know what you need. So he just used like accent seasoning and I, I tasted it. First of all, I tasted the meal that was coming. I tasted and I said, that's too much salt. Then um, I, I asked him, I told him a little bit more details and he said, I know what you need. He, he used accent and then from there on, we were able mm -hmm. to get, oh, you're welcome, Dad. <laughs> you know, <laughs> able to get his diet under control where he would be stabilized enough so he wouldn't be readmitted into the hospital. But it was Terry who kept saying, Katrina, it's the food, it's the food, it's the food. And I said, no, it can't be because they have a standard menu and, and they have all these rules and regulations to you know warn against that. But he was like, no, it's the food, I'm telling you. So then I listened to what he said and then I got on board with him and then realized that it has been the food. That has been out of the hospital since, since uh, for about seven years now, since 2015, the stroke was in 2015, and he has not had another readmission of congestive heart failure or any challenges like that. So we praise God for that. Wow, that's amazing. And that's a call to you all for the work that you have been doing with him. So that that is awesome there alone. Just no readmissions in seven years. That's actually amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You have some outstanding super advocates for you, let me tell you. And so I hope yeah. our, our um, listeners understand that, you know, no question is too much. Um, yeah. The worst thing they can say is no. Just remember that the worst thing they can say is no, right? So if you ask, that's all that they can do, but at least ask the question. That's right. And I would like to add no bed sores, no nothing like that. Nothing, nothing, <laughs> nothing, nothing. Because that is wonderful. And yeah. you know, some of that can be contributed to the um, nutrition as well, because, you know, if you're not as mobile and you're still taking the correct nutrients in, then that can help with your skin integrity and preventing from you from getting those breakdowns. So that is awesome. So as you, and you, when you all set facilities, you meant rehab facilities, is that right? You went to different yeah. rehab facilities. Yeah, skilled right. healthcare facilities. So he was at, uh, the initial stop was uh, Fayetteville Hospital. Then there was Grady. Then after Grady, we went to a, a, a rehab facility near Emory oh, at Bud Terrace. And then from Bud Terrace, we went to what we call Little Grady or Kendrick. And then from Kendrick, we went out to Noonan for the rehab rehabilitation hospital. Well, that was another place oh. too. That was um, the Catholic. It was part of Emory because he had um, some type. They couldn't get him back into um, couldn't get him back into Emory and in, in, uh, in the you know the regular Emory the regular Emory facility. So he went to some place. Uh, on the north side of town. Oh yeah, he had to go to um, St. Joseph's Hospital. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Had to do that too. So yeah, we were in a lot of facilities. <laughs> okay. And various places. It literally took us about seven months from the initial stroke, about seven months before he actually came home. Yeah. Okay. I want to also add something to this. Um, my mom and sisters, they had a strategy too. Even when we were choosing the the next location for dad. So like like I was saying, my mom's a general. And she would say, okay, you all go to this facility and check it out before we go, before we make a decision about where we're going to move them to. And so a lot of this stuff happened like in, within one day or two days. And so she just gave us a list. Katrina had part. I think April had part. I had part. David might even have part. And we were told to um, look for smell. So as soon as we entered the facility, if we smelled urine or smelled feces or something like that, that was a no-go. 
uh, we were told to look for like um, the number of the patient to uh, staff ratio. So we were told to look that if that was out of whack, that was a no go. Uh, we also like this was just a kind of feel thing, look around and see if the people look happy or if they look hurt, like, you know, looking at, you know, just making sure that that was okay. And then also kind of interviewing the staff and seeing whether or not they were really engaged or did they really care about what, we, what they were doing. So there were a lot of facilities that we crossed off the list before we even made our moves to Bud Terrace or to the other place because of that strategy again that my mom has set in place for us. Yeah, that's so with awesome. that strategy, the, with that strategy also was to check the reviews on the internet. And then I would always look at the, you know, four star or higher facility and and then find out what the, the negative comment was and if that if we could work around that the negative comment then we would move on and then the so you know that that's a great point for our listeners is that their cms does have a website where you go on and you look at the views from the cms.gov and you can see the reviews for um, nursing homes, uh, skilled rehab centers, whoever is licensed by Medicare, that you can see those reviews as well. So that that's a great point. The, the last thing I want to add about that was I, I wanted the children to find out if I could spend the night. Yes. If I could not spend the night, then no. I, I did not want him to go there. Yeah. So that was the, that was the last thing that I wanted them to find out. His dad is non, the stroke caused him to be nonverbal and has an ex expressive aphasia. So he couldn't tell them if he needed something. So she definitely needed to be there overnight. Either it was mom or someone else, but definitely mom. But definitely make sure that, that she could stay the night. Wow, this, this is such an amazing journey. I'm so glad we're having this and, and sharing this. So before we get ready for a break, I would like for y'all to kind of talk about once you left the hospital, once you started preparing to actually go home, because that that's a big part of the family caregiver. You have a more support in the hospital where you don't have to do as much. You're still very active and involved, but once you get home, often it's just you. So can we talk a little bit about that transition once you got ready to walk into the door? I think one of the things that uh, Katrina did was I had a lot of uh, bulletin boards, whiteboards, and she started putting things on that whiteboard. We're going to do this at this time, this at this time. Um, the time when the therapist would come in, their schedule was up. And that really did help to have a visible board. Uh, I mean, it was almost, well, it, it was really, it was really big. <laughs> so we have a lot of things on there um, so that we wouldn't miss anything. Anything that we would, you know, just think about that would come up, then we would put it on the board uh, because that was very important. To try to continue the same uh, care that um, the last stop that we had, which was a wonderful facility, that was, it was really a good place uh, for my husband. Uh, they, they're under a different name now, but they were, it was down in Noonan, Georgia okay. that uh, the children found the best possible place for him. And it really was because they got him up to walking. So they um, found a, a, um, a facility that was people that would come in that were, um, I don't know how it happened. Only thing I can say was that they were God sent. That's the only thing. Um, the speech pathologist was excellent. She had, she had him doing some of everything. Um, the, OT people, the person 
just everybody that came in, you know. Um, so we had we had to get a hospital bed um, in, and um, I think that was really about the only thing that we had to go outside and get some other things that we he had. So one of the things that we got, he wasn't able to use it like I had hoped because he's right side weakness. So we just tried to continue the same care, quality of care that we had learned along the way, how to make the bed properly, how to, you know, keep his head elevated, just different things like that, Katrina. Yeah, I want to add to that. So the last stop that we were at, the last facility that my mom mentioned in Munich, the, again, the facility was great. But it was their structure and the way in which they did things that really helped us. But before we left, and I would say this to your audience, that before you leave a facility, facility, make sure that you meet with a social worker or discharge a person that's going to help you line up your resources or your loved one when they get home. One thing that I did question in the meeting upon our discharge was, how is he going to get his medication? And they thought, oh, we do need to write a prescription for his medications before he goes home. Because I was concerned that when we got him home, he wouldn't have the medicine that he needed. So they wrote the prescription. We went and picked up the prescription. Well, mom took him home. I think I picked up the prescriptions and then brought them back home because I didn't want him to miss his med his medication. So from then, we, uh, so, so we lined up the outpatient therapy, the medication, and then the try to make sure that we continue the continuity of care. Now I have at least, I have over uh, 15 years of experience as a pediatric nursing assistant. So I understand structure, I understand training, I understand making sure that someone doesn't get bed sores and things of that nature. So I, I really, and, and also making sure that dad had the proper nutrition. So I understood that, so I pretty much, told mom some of the things that I knew, shared those things with her. And then I initially, when he initially came home, I did all, did all of the cooking and to the best of my ability without using additional salt and sodium. And then mom over time picked up that and then added to it. And it's been great. Her food is awesome without a low, low sodium food and it's very consistent. And that again has contributed to him not going uh, back into the hospital. I would do that. Of course, mom is the primary caregiver. So basically, this is our family structure, how we handle everything. One, by the grace of God, they have, I told mom, I said, y'all better be glad y'all have five kids because <laughs> a lot of stuff. So we can divide stuff out. So y'all are very, very blessed so that it's not just one person doing this. So, so mom is the primary caregiver. So she's lining up all of his appointments, making sure he gets the right cardiologist, the right neurologist, the right nephrologist, the the best, the best people for him and his situation. Then uh, Corey, our brother, he is, is not on camera, but he is very, very instrumental on the day-to-day -day care. So over time, he learned how to care for dad. So everybody knows how to care for him if, if we need to, if, if, if those of us who are primary caregivers or joint caregivers like myself, my mother, our mother, and Corey, because dad is with us, 
that even if like Terry needs to come over to relieve us, like, so he would be like the PRN staff and David is also like the PRN staff. So when we need someone, we call them <laughs> up and then they come over. Okay. If we need April, April comes in. So we, we run it like a hospital facility in right. a way. So we try to make sure that we hold true to those systems and keep everything going. And that's very, very, very consistent. And we understand how important it is for him to make sure he's at his appointments, getting the therapies that he needs, that's speech, occupational, and physical therapy consistently, and just making sure he gets to those appointments. And then also giving each other a break in between to be able to continue you know, the journey. So, yeah. So, and, and that's the thing I was actually going to ask that question about your roles, kind of who's primary, secondary. So that's great that um, everyone has a plan that, and it's so important that the primary secondaries are getting breaks, right? Some time to get away, to get some relief and do some self-care um, because we too often see caregivers passing before their loved ones because they haven't taken care of themselves. So it's so important that we give that relief and we make sure that we're taking care of everybody in the circle and everybody is willing to be taken care of in the circle, right? <laughs> so Amen. we have to be able to do that, to give that break to ourselves. So it sounds like that's what's happening. And so we're going to take a quick break here um, and come back for more conversation. This is so good. I know our listeners are getting lots of information. So we'll be back shortly after this break. You're not too cool for me. And in return, I reciprocate that sentiment. I'll never be too cool for you. I was a man with a plan, but now I'm a dad with a decree, and you can't take that from me. Please let it be noted that I told my job they can dock my pay. Right now, it's just too important to take you to school every day. I want to be legendary for you. I want you to puff out your chest when you go to school the same way I do. I walk taller because of you, because I found everything to live for. That's dedication. Visit fatherhood.gov to hear more. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Welcome back. We've been having an amazing conversation with the Holmes family. So let's jump back in. And I want to reference back to um, the introduction that I provided. We talked a little bit about the importance of men in our lives and the roles that they serve. So can you share how this journey changed the dynamics of your family? Well, I think it made us become more aware of our own health and other people and to be able to talk to people. Um, I said, I, I had, um, I kept telling the children, guard your health, guard your health and the health of those you love. I kept saying that over and over and over and over again. I remember one time I, I was at the bank and I told someone, uh, the bank teller, guard your health and the health of those you love. And then I turned to her and I said, and that also means stay away from toxic relationships. That's guarding your health as well. And I was at a drive-thru and she called me back and asked me to re repeat that again, because for her, she hadn't thought about toxic relationships. And so anyway, to make a long story short, the children printed me some a t-shirt. And so on the back, it said, um, guard your health and the health of those you love. So I think what happened was everybody saw in the family something that they could do. Uh, awesome. Something that they, like you talked a little bit earlier, that they were really good at. Uh, Katrina, just, you know, that she's written a book. 
and then they're working on something, you know, another health uh, healthcare uh, book. And April was doing, you know, her thing with her daughters and her grandson, just really trying to stay guarding their health. Right. I think that really did make an impact. I mean, you know, that was uh, I know it was a God a download from God, you mm -hmm. know, for me to say that. But I mean, everybody that I came in contact with, it health became more of a focal point right, right. and you know yes, yes so as we think about men's health month you know men often you know don't want to go to the doctor and don't want to be seen and keep those checkups so it's just so important that we encourage them to do that um, all year round, but especially this month as well, that we want to make sure they do that. And so, Terry, as we show this video pretty soon, if you can hurt, hold your shirt up one more time um, while we have you on spotlight so we can see that shirt. There it is. All right. Awesome. So as you guys um, watch our video on the Call for Caring YouTube channel, you can see what that shirt looks like as well. Um, so can, you know, I, can I add something too? I want to say something about um, men and, and uh, what what the effect of what happened to my dad and, and uh, what it had on my friends. So my dad had been like a father figure for a lot of my male friends. And during the time when he was in the, in the hospital and we were reaching out to people um, for prayer and help and stuff, each and every one of my male friends showed up. So um, Michael, Robert, Thomas, um, Donye, because a lot of them didn't have dads every day in their life, but they always looked at my dad as like, that's what a dad is and that's what a dad's supposed to do so when he went through this you know they were it it was a wake-up call for all of us even my grandfather who's passed on at this time you know showed up at the hospital all the guys that worked with my dad they showed up at the hospital and it was kind of like because you know when you talk about a pillar in the community my father really is a compute a pillar in the community was and is and so to see something happen to him it woke all of them up you know so they all became more aware of oh this could happen what, how did it happen? Oh, we do exactly what he does. You know, we eat out, you know, we don't always listen to our wives. We, we eat crazy. We, we work hard because we're all trying to um, provide for our families in different ways. And, you know, my dad has been a provider for a long time, years. And a lot of us, we're, you know, because we were looking at him, we're younger providers, but we're, we were walking around stressed out, walking around, not dealing with, um, things in the right way, not having healthy outlets. And so we were feeling things in our body, but not expressing it. This gave us a time to sit around and say, hey man, my chest has been hurting. Or, hey man, like, you know, what are the signs for a stroke? What are, you know, like, so we all had those conversations while we were, um, you know, uh, rallying around my dad. And so I, I felt like out of, out of this tragedy or out of this rough time, became, you know, came an awareness that all of us needed that, life is not uh, infinite, it's finite. And you really have to be uh, uh, cognizant of the way that you're treating your body because it cannot operate under stress for prolonged periods of time without you doing something to take the, the stress off. So all of us started putting in uh, ways to take the stress off. And I thank my dad for that. So uh, my, my friend, Michael, he just had a, a problem with his heart where they had to put a stent but the only reason that he like was saying the only he, he called me and said, the only reason that I, I said, hey, I'm having a, my chest is hurting is because I remember what happened to your dad. And that and because he did that, that added years to his life. They, they, they actually said, Michael, you were about to have a heart like you were 
you were they said he was close to a heart attack not quite it's right. like a mild heart attack but if he had not thought about what my dad went through and and said hey i need to go to the hospital who knows what would have happened and so that's what that's the ripple effect of you know my dad um in, in my community and, and amongst my friends. So I'm thankful for this newfound awareness. And I would, I'm hoping that, that we, I know I'm sharing it and I know that my friends are sharing it, but I hope that this podcast reaches a lot of other guys so that they're able to hear, hear this warning and understand that again, these bodies need to be taken care of because we're providers and, be, and because we're, we are the heads of our families. And so take that role seriously. We also need to take care of ourselves. So. Awesome. Wow. That's great. Thank you, Terry. Absolutely. I, I, I don't have anything to add to that. That was just so <laughs> well said that I hope that men that you are listening to exactly what he said from one man to another. And um, I can truly see your dad as a pillar in the community. And so that's why we feel so lucky to have you all here mm -hmm. to kind of share your story. Um, and so as we talk about stories, you know, caregiving can be stressful, but it's also a blessing to be able to have that ability to be able to come together and love on one another through good, bad, and in different times. So um, can you all, someone share a memory, a moment during your journey that was a blessing to, to your family? Well, I, I can. Um, and it has to do with Miss Jackie. This is a friend of Katrina's at Southwest Christian Care. I carried um, Alexandra to Miss Jackie for um, music. She's a music specialist. We had no idea that God had done something a little bit different with him, wherein he could play every single instrument that Miss Jackie put in front of him. Never had a lesson, none of that. And I think Katrina had written him had written up some music and um, he started playing the harmonica um, to, to back her up. Now, um, and, and I remember one time uh, with Miss Jackie, um, she gave him some handbells and people began to come out of their office to see who was playing the handbells. Wow. And he, she was accompanying him on her guitar. So yeah. I, <laughs> the music that she taught him, um, you know, she taught him a little song. You want to sing that song? Hello, hello, the hello song. <laughs> no, not today. Okay. We put you on the spot, Mr. Holmes. <laughs> you want to say hello? Hello. Hello. And how are you today? Hello. Hello, how are you today? Hey, 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 hey. hey. Nice. <laughs> Love it. That is awesome. Great job. That is wonderful. You know, you all have provided so much information. And so is there, um, you know, like um, social media, websites, information that you all follow that you think would be good for our caregivers to kind of follow as well? Oh, yes. Um, so what I did, I created a PDF format for you to be able to offer to your um, to your audience if they're if they're able to download it. However, uh, the organizations that have been really instrumental for our dad is uh, physical therapy, Atlanta Human Performance Center. They're located 
on Hogan Road in Atlanta. So they provide physical therapy. Dr. J, and they take insurance. Dr. J Physical Therapy, located in Union City, Georgia, she provides physical therapy services on a cash uh, basis. Ideal Therapy takes, they're located in Riverdale as well as in Fayetteville, and they take most insurances. However, they provide all uh, care, all, excuse me, all therapies such as physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech and massage therapy, and aqua and aqua aqua therapy. So they're a great uh, resource as well. There was my our dad was a part of a glove study at Georgia Tech. Oh yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> at Georgia Tech to help him to regain sensation in his uh, yeah. his his impacted hand. And okay. so there is an ongoing study to use a glove that has been connected to a vibration uh, type of device that can increase stimulation within the the hand. So Georgia Tech yes, and Caitlin Singh, she's the graduate student that's responsible uh, for that particular program. And then of course, Miss Jackie is a music specialist working with persons who've had traumatic brain injuries as well mm -hmm. as children and adults and trying to help them to, uh, with neuroplasticity, neuroplasticity to reprogram, uh, I guess, the brain. And then there was also, then I also added a a compilation of videos for stroke rehab on, on that list as well. And then there is a web, a YouTube channel that I love called brain.rehab and they offer innovative ways to rehab your loved one who's had a stroke. Okay, awesome. That's wonderful. So we'll make sure we add that link uh, to the podcast and also um, on the YouTube channel as well. And so, you know, as you know, this is... It, listen, nationally, internationally. So if any of those organizations are outside of Georgia, I'm sure, you know, you're welcome to reach out to those. But for things that are can be accessed nationally, you can certainly go to the websites, YouTube channels as well. Um, so everyone can have access to those resources. And so if you all could share two things that you recommend that the, the caregivers do immediately after listening to this podcast, what would those two things be? Okay, so what I did was I compiled, a, I created a little list here. So consistently work towards improving your loved one's quality of life while getting the resources you need. So that's my, my number one, by assessing these seven areas. So that's nutrition, hygiene and continence, mobility, communication, socialization, safety, and spirituality. So with nutrition, they may need to get meal prep services or a private chef. For hygiene and continence, they may need in-home care or someone to give them a bath, provide additional supplies for their therapy to strengthen their reproductive organs as far as their continence challenges may be. Mobility, they're big, very big on physical therapy, so they may need physical therapy services. Communication, they may need speech therapy to enhance their ability to communicate but also offering them the opportunity, the, the freedom to communicate with others and with family members on areas that might be challenging to them. When it comes to socialization, fun activities, get the grandkids and kids involved and spend time with them by calling them and coming to visit if possible. Their safety, you may need to do modifications to the home and physical therapy to help with fall prevention. And then spirituality, they may need to connect with maybe prayer lines, 
or someone from their church to possibly call them weekly. We actually had a woman from our church that would come to every facility and sing hymns to dad. And, and even when he finally came home, she would come by and sing mm -hmm. to him. Yes, and that's, Ms. that's Sister Willow. And then also possibly spend time reading, reading the word of God, reading the Bible. And then I would also say if they needed to backtrack, if they are a, have been in caregiving for a while and or if they, they're new to caregiving, I would contact the United States government and its department that has been tasked with responsibility to address those issues in regards to aging and disabilities. And that particular department is the Administration for Community Living. And their phone number is 202-401-4634. And, the, and their website is acl.gov. And again, that's the Administration for Community Living. Their phone number is 202-401-4634. And then I would also contact usa.gov. And their number is... 844-872-4681. Again, that's 844-872-4681 to ask any questions pertaining to the U.S. government and or to get resources that they may need as a family caregiver and resources for their, their loved one. And then I would then and then in turn by doing that, what they will do is connect you with your state resources your state resources will then connect you with your local resources. So again, this is for anyone who has been in caregiving for a while and or someone who is actually new to caregiving, start with the US government as far as the resources go so that you're not missing the help that you may actually need. And so some of those resources may be geared toward food, home care, grants for those persons who actually worked in a particular industry and the list goes on. So I would definitely start with the government and then work my way towards my local area to make sure that I'm amassing all of the resources that are provided. And one other thing, I, I would recommend that they go to www.thehomesfamily.us. <laughs> all right. So that was my next question. How can they get in touch with you all if they need to? So we've heard the website. Um, Add to that, um, as to piggyback on what Terry was saying, how um, Alex was a big instrument, was played a big instrumental role in his friends' lives, and uh, he also played a, a uh, was inspirational in my life as well as my children, and uh, which is his grandchildren. Uh, my daughter, my oldest daughter, because of what happened, she wanted to get more involved, and so she went to school. Uh, health to learn about health care so she could better assist and she also was able to assist other people as well with their families and helping them uh, take care of their loved ones as well and I would say that um, you know to get as much knowledge as you can uh, because one day you know this is inevitable you're going to be in this situation so um, and you can start out by getting the book that my sister wrote um, in getting started with uh, finding different resources and stuff like that to help you. So it's best to get a head start up on this and, um, you know, in, in, um, in, in getting the book. Awesome. Yeah. Yes. 
talking about, it's called buying more time and 58 questions to ask on your loved one's behalf before he or she is discharged from a hospital or a skilled healthcare facility. So a lot has happened uh, with our family as a result of our dad having this, this traumatic experience. But we are solution-minded people. We are, we, you know, after the shock and all of those things, we think like, okay, how can we help other people? How can we sound the alarm and educate other people so that they are more equipped in, in, the, in, a, process, in, in a situation like this? Because everyone is aging. That's going to happen. That person may or may not have a disability. The person may or may not become ill, but everyone will age. And there are ways to help with the aging process to soften the blow of the aging. Uh, and so we you know, want to be on the, I guess, on the cutting edge of that, of just trying to make sure that people have resources that they need in order to do things a little within our Awesome. You know, this has been so such great information. I'm so excited to share this with our listeners. Um, I just want to thank you all so much for being here. So thank you to the Holmes family for sharing your amazing journey. Again, we want to wish you, Mr. Holmes, all fathers, all father figures, a very happy <laughs> Father's Day. Again, I want to say a very special Father's Day to my father, Mr. Johnson. Um, and so I love you, Dad, and I thank you for all the things that you've done for me and our family. Um, this is the Empowerment Hour, and it's presented by Call for Caring. Our organization supports caregivers through resources like today's podcast, expos, courses, and grants. You can learn more or do donate to Call for Caring at callforcaring.org. Today's episode can be heard on uptomeradio.com. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and viewed on YouTube via the Call for Caring channel. So we hope today's amazing episode has, of the Empowerment Hour has met our goal to educate, elevate, and empower caregivers during their caregiver journey. Thank you.